Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please take up your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be reading from verse 8 to 22. If you remember last week, we've sort of this famous chapter uh, on lives lived by faith. And now we come uh, to verse 8 to Abraham. Let's listen to God's words uh, to us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place uh, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is God's words to us. Now, as we thought about last week, as we enter the realm of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we're entering into the, an unseen world. We're seeing the unseen. 
Now, it's noticeable, I think, that we, we live in a society that just doesn't even really want to talk about the unseen uh, and, and definitely doesn't want to, to admit any belief in, in something unseen. You know, we're, all a, we're a society all about the science, about the facts, aren't we? And yet, and yet we also hold to things like equality, freedom, progress, beauty, things perhaps people don't like admitting as unseen. Perhaps at, at one point, just looking around you, looking inside you, perhaps led you to wonder, is there something more? Something more than we can just see and measure? Perhaps that's a question you're asking right now. And even if you've been a Christian for years, believing that there is, you know, that the question can come back round as we, as we get lost in the worries and the pressures of life. And rather than, is, is there something more? It's more desperate. Is there really something more? Because it can feel when life is hard that, that God has abandoned us. This world is just spinning, spinning in a never-ending cycle. Is there hope? Has God got something for us in this world? And it's with that question we enter into Hebrews 11. Wonderfully, wonderfully for us tonight. God's word speaks into that longing for something more. Because we, we've got to a point in the letter uh, to the Hebrews where the writer, he's openly encouraging his listeners to endure, uh, to keep going with Jesus. End of chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so to, to encourage our perseverance, he's begun to, to gaze at the lives of the, the big names of the Old Testament to show us something of the future, to show us of, of something of what faith is pointing to. Remember faith, verse 1, is the, the proof of things unseen. If you remember last week we looked at Abel, Enoch, Noah, and tonight we're with Abraham, the father of God's people and his wife and the next couple of generations. And Abraham's faith points us to something wonderful uh, about the gospel. Verse 10, for he, that's Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The, the faith and lives of these ancient men and women show us a deeply wonderful truth. They show us there is more. And it's not just some kind of mystical, wispy spiritual world, but it's a city. But it's, and it's not just random, it's a city God has prepared for them. If you're a Christian tonight, if you're following Jesus, may you know this, God has prepared a city for you. God has prepared a city for you. Right now, there is a, a place prepared for you in this wonderful city, a place that we cannot see, but a place where Jesus is. He's ascended somehow into this heavenly city. Now, this, the, the idea of a city, it suggests so much to us, doesn't it? And it definitely suggests a place of people, active in life. We think of houses, we think of places of work, gathering, perhaps around food and music. And if it's, if it's built by God, then we need to see his, his righteous reign in it all. We need to see 
our own city's rough spots, like an abandoned warehouses and factories, barbed wire, graffiti, turned, transformed into places of, of wonder, of hope, of joy. And in ancient times, if you think of a city, you think of places of, of refuge and safety and security, a, a place protected by walls with huge, strong gates. Why? Because it's a place where the king sits, God's king. And so it's a, a city of glory, majesty, of pomp and victory, a city where sin has been banished, where death has been conquered, a place of, of flourishing and peace. God has prepared a city for you place where Christ is. God hasn't abandoned us. There is hope. In the midst of perhaps the monotony or the struggles of daily living, God has prepared a city for you, for us. That's the beating heart of this passage. But once again, like last week, God shows us this through the life of a person. He shows us through what happens with Abraham as Abraham lives by faith. Or perhaps even what didn't happen with Abraham. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the thing promised. That there's something about Abraham not receiving that points us to more. Now in verse 8, the writer begins by telling us the story of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Then he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, it's a really short retelling of, of a big chunk of Genesis. Abraham, he, he moved from where he was living. That was a place called Ur. And he went miles all the way to the land of Canaan, hundreds of miles west, the land of promise, the writer calls it. But notice what happens when he gets there. Verse 9, he lives as in a foreign land, living in tents. God has promised him a land. He travels all the way there, and then he never quite makes it his home. He lives as in a foreign land. We see that again, verses 13 and 16, if you look down. While he's, while he's in the promised land of Canaan, verse 13, he acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's calling himself a stranger. So, verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear they are seeking a homeland. In other words, you don't call yourself a stranger if you're not trying to find somewhere to call a home. Now, if they were seeking a place on this earth, then, then this makes no sense. Because either they would call Canaan. So they moved to Canaan, they'd call that their home. It's the land of promise. They're there and God's given it to them. Or, as the writer says, they'd move back to Ur. They'd go to their homeland there. They could have returned. But what's strange is they don't do either. They stay in Canaan and they call themselves strangers. That's a strange thing to do. So neither Canaan is their home, nor Ur is the home they're looking for. And we see this because God actually, he delays in giving Abraham full rights to Canaan. And we know that from the Genesis account. Abraham only owned a tiny plot of land by the end. It's a burial ground for Sarah. That was it. And he'd also been promised a great nation, lots of lots of descendants. And again, God delays it. We see that in verse 11. By faith, 
Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Did you, did you see the little details? Sarah was past the age. Abraham was good as dead. God delayed giving them Isaac. He was born when they were super old. So as they, they get to a place that God has promised, and yet they have to wait. As they also wait for the family God has promised, something sinks in. Abraham begins to live as a foreigner, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. It's as if Abraham has realized he's in the realm of, of shadow and reality. God promised a land for Abraham, but he realizes really there are, there are two lands in view. One is, as the writer calls it, this land of promise, the land of Canaanites, what we'd now call Israel and Palestine. But there's a second, there's another city, the city God builds. Or to put it differently in verse 16, it's the heavenly country, a future where God's rule comes perfectly to earth. So Abraham, he, he moves to Canaan, and God just keeps back what he's promised. And Abraham begins to live by faith, waiting for somewhere else. Why? Because he's realized Canaan's just the shadow and the heavenly is the better, the full, the final place of God. Now this matters because it shows us God hasn't just left, left us to this world as it is. This, this place which, yes, it has some glimmers of joy, but but we know it just sits under the shadow of death. But instead, it points to, to a radical work of God that is to come. There's this wonderful certainty that God is going to transform his world into a city of glory. Now, some people uh, recommend we just forget the idea of heaven. Like that, that famous uh, John Lennon song. You know, who just asks us to imagine it's just not there. Imagine there's no heaven. We should just like it and lump it, what we've got. Make the most of what we've got now. But that's not where the lives of Abraham and Sarah point us to. They were looking forward to the land of Canaan. They weren't looking forward to the land of Canaan, however great that was. They weren't resigned to just things carrying on. They were looking forward to the heavenly city. Just, just let their lives point us to. Just imagine Abraham and his family. They're in Canaan, they're nomads. They're people always on the move, never in one place long enough to settle. They're wandering with sheep and goats at their feet. Picture it. And let that, that group of nomadic herders show you the unseen heavenly opposite. The city of permanence. A place where industry and culture take root. Or, or look at their tents. You know, their, their lightweight tents. I don't know if some of you enjoy camping, but imagine their tents strung up with ropes, pegs just breaking the cracked topsoil, rugs easily rolled up and loaded onto a camel. Well, let that show you another place, a 
place of foundations. A place of deep foundations made by God himself. That's what Abraham was looking forward to. And his life showed it. Abraham knew God's prepared a city for you. But Abraham was living thousands of years ago, way, way before Christ. How much more do we see the truth of this now in Christ? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they saw dimly. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. But we're not seeing from afar like they were. We see things even clearer because we know of Jesus Christ. We know he's died and risen. We know he has gone to prepare a place for his people. We know he went to heaven itself. We know he's in that heavenly city. No wonder in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the writer says of us, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus, he's in that city. And so we've come to that city in worship and faith. We know it's already in existence. You know, that's why the apostle Paul uh, could say, uh, could call us citizens of heaven. Say we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places as people united to Christ. We know the truth. There is a city for his people, for even people like ourselves. There is something more. Abraham shows it, and even more so does Jesus Christ, our King. And and just take in those extraordinary words of verse 16. For he has prepared for them a city. God prepared for them a city. He wasn't ashamed of them. His love covered them. It was deeply for them. And often when people talk about being kind of spiritual, what they really mean is some kind of impersonal religion. That's what I don't know, makes the force in Star Wars so appealing to some, or the, the spiritual connection we have with nature. It's all, all pantheistic, all very impersonal. But actually that distance, that impersonal connection is what makes it so lonely. But not God's gift of his city. You know, he's like a father who hears his son is coming back, so he, he gets out the clean sheets, he makes the boy's bed, he puts some and a beer in the fridge and makes sure the steaks are out on the side ready. God hasn't deserted his people. He hasn't said, the, the, the world's hard and difficult. The world has pain and your life will be over in a moment, but tough, lump it. No, he said, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you, a city for you, a heavenly country, a place of grace and favor, a place that will be this, this world restored and made new, a place where I make it as it should be, where heaven comes to earth. God has prepared a city for you. And so faith, it's trusting this to be true. What you see around you is not all there is. There is somewhere of more worth, of greater value, a better possession, an abiding one. Now we'll explore this more later, but for now this, this explains and helps us navigate actually some experiences in life. You know, like the fact that Every beautiful moment that we enjoy now ends. Isn't it? A, a sunset, it turns to darkness. A, a beautiful harmony 
reaches its cadence. The time of friendship comes to a close. They're all experiences that point to there being another heavenly country, a better place, a place where the the longing is fully satisfied. It also helps us with perhaps that feeling of being a foreigner or stranger in our homelands. Perhaps you have a deep love for Scotland. Your roots, your history, your your memories are all here, but but your heart is somewhere else. You, You taste it when at church, perhaps, in worship of the king, you you would acknowledge with Abraham that you are a a stranger, an exile on the earth. And it's because God has prepared a city for you. That's the first thing. But secondly, but the, the city is still to come and will come. The city is still to come and will come. It uh, we've already glimpsed that it's still to come with that, the way God delays the earthly blessings to Abraham and Sarah. But the writer goes on, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the writer here, he's gone on to one of the most famous moments in Abraham's life when God tells him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And then the last moment, he provides a ram, if you know the story, instead of Isaac, and Isaac is spared. But look at the focus, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. If God's promise of a great nation was to happen through Isaac and God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac, then Abram had to believe that God's promises are fulfilled through, through resurrection, through Isaac coming back from the dead. The future Abraham's life, it's pointing us to the need for resurrection. Death must come, but God will somehow fulfill what he said. So there must be resurrection too. That the city is still to come, but it will come. God will turn death to life. He shows us this again in what he tells us of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He, he focuses on their, their blessings. Now, this was a, it's an ancient tradition of pronouncing over someone the future. It's a, a declaration in, in God's sovereignty of what is to come under God's gracious hand. And so, so Isaac, what does he do? He speaks of future blessings. Jacob, he, he blessed his sons. Joseph spoke of the future too. But, but look again at what the writer highlights. Verse 20, Isaac invokes future blessings. Verse 21, Jacob, when he was dying. Verse 22, Joseph, at the end of his life. They had death, death staring them in the face. The end had come. But they still believed God was a God who would fulfill his promises. They believed death wasn't the end somehow. It wouldn't halt God's promise. It wouldn't nullify their inheritance. By implication, they knew that there must be resurrection life, that this city is still to come and it will come. They they looked at the world around them. They saw some of God's promises beginning to come about. You know, Jacob, he would have seen his 12 sons, even grandchildren, but they also saw their frail and aging bodies, the, the division and sin between the brothers, the fact they're in Egypt, not Canaan, 
death. And so by faith, they look beyond to what God could do on the other side of death. And although in Christ we've, we've come to the city God has prepared, it is also for us, like them, still to come. Later in Hebrews, the writer is clear. In chapter 13, verse 14, he says, for here we have, uh, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Death, it still stares us in the face. Probably we will all die before we see Jesus return. We might not, he might return sooner. But given we, might, we don't know when he'll come, it, it might be long after we've died. And certainly generation after generation of Christians have died before us. People who never saw Christ return in their lifetime. Never saw the city come to earth. We, you know, we live here in Aberdeen still in this world of sin with this, the, the, the city still to come. But unlike Abraham, Isaac, jo- Jacob, Joseph, we, we have seen the power that can do this. Abraham had a figurative resurrection. We live the other side of a real one. Abraham saw Isaac saved from death. We have seen Jesus saved through death. There's the power. Jesus Christ is risen. His tomb is empty. And he's the first fruits, the forerunner, the one through whom all things will be raised in resurrection. New creation power. The city is still to come and it will do. Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's not some kind of ethereal, bodiless experience, a kind of floating of the soul. No, it's, it's resurrection, it's real, it's concrete. A physical new creation, we'll have bodies, it's creation restored, heaven come to earth. The city is still to come, and it will come. And that's why we hold tightly to Jesus. He's the only one who can actually do something about this world. There is hope because he has risen. There is hope because God really can raise a world from death to life. That's what those men of old, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what they saw dimly, resurrection through Christ. This world isn't on some kind of trajectory of human progress. We don't need to look far to know that's not true. But it's also not on some random path, kind of heading towards an, uh, just a kind of evaporation when the sun explodes. There is more. There's a city still to come. But it, and it, but it will do because God can raise what is dead to new life. So we hold tightly to Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him. We live our lives with him as our king and savior. We follow him. We trust him. And so like Abraham, we live waiting for his return. We live in the shadow of what's to come. Verse 10 says, Abraham was looking forward. Now that word isn't just one of kind of excited anticipation, like I'm, I'm looking forward to my birthday. It's, it's more meaning I'm looking ahead. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting expectantly That's what this reality does to us, this city to come. It means we live lives of patient, expectant waiting. That's what living by faith looks like, patient, expectant waiting. Now we've seen that means holding to Christ tightly. 
Perhaps you've heard someone say, though, uh, oh, they're so heavenly-minded, they're actually no earthly goods. You know, people are so longing for heaven, they just can't do life very well. They're, they're kind of useless in the normal day-to-day. Or perhaps you've heard them go further. If people weren't so set on heaven, then they'd, they'd do more to make the present better. But the thing is about that idea, it doesn't actually work. If we, if we believe now is all there is, that heaven is just kind of some kind of fiction, actually, rather than being generous and sacrificial, that kind of idea just actually generates a, a desire to make my present better, my at present all it can be. I live for the now. It's YOLO. We grab, we hoard, we do what's best for me. Now, perhaps there are some people who do live lives for others, but I think we'd have to admit it. that's despite what they believe, not because of it. No, instead, patient, expecting, waiting, waiting for God's future city to come, that actually allows us to live rightly in the world. Because it means we, we hold on to Christ tightly, but it also means we hold on to things lightly. We hold on to things lightly. Now, that can mean our stuff, what we own. Just think of Abraham. He lived in tents. That's not a command to us. You must all live in tents. No, but it shows an attitude. Are our lives one where we, we put up tents or where we try and build cities? I don't know, we try and build a financial empire, a big bank account, a secure portfolio. Or does, does money come in and go out for others? Or perhaps we try and build an edifice of fame, a name for ourselves. I don't know whether famous to all or or just perhaps in our own field, we want our name to be the one at the medical conference or, or the one headhunted for the next CEO position. Or do we serve quietly, sometimes recognized, sometimes overlooked? Or perhaps we try and build a, a legacy or create an, a, a nest, a house worthy of our lives. Or is our home a, a place of contentment and, and messy enjoyment? Perhaps have a think. Are you you grabbing and manipulating to get what you want, building? Perhaps are you sulking in despair when it's not as you wished? I was challenged recently about my, my little kingdom of home. I got, I got wound up and cross at having once uh, again put away a whole stack of toys that hadn't even been played with. They're just strewn on the floor. Now, it's right that kids should be considerate and kind, but, but I think I was more angry because my kingdom wasn't working. I wasn't getting the world to be as I wanted it to be. I was trying to build. I was trying to build a permanently tidy world rather than knowing it, it, it's okay. I'm living in a tent. This world is temporary. The city is to come, and that just loosens our grip on the world around us. You know, it slows down my rush to get, get, get. I can, I can give rather than grab. I can be rather than become. You know, one commentator puts it like this. Cre- creation is there to be enjoyed and lingered over, not plundered for my gain or manipulated for my fame. In other words, when we know that this world is good and a gift from God, but it isn't everything, it, it isn't the city to come, it means we can begin to enjoy the small things and be generous with all things. We become an earthly good because we're so heavenly minded. We hold things lightly. 
This is not only true about what we own, it's also true of ourselves, of perhaps our capacity in life. You know, some of us, some of us might be struggling with our, with our body that doesn't do what we hoped it would do. We, we look around and see people who are fit and healthy. We look at ours and, and see things that just don't. You know, our diaries are full of rest time and, and hospital appointments. But there's a city to come. There's a resurrection life, and so in the midst of pain and the difficulties, and they are real, but in, in holding on to Christ and the future tightly, we can somehow hold on to our, our struggles a little more lightly. Somehow we can enjoy the moments God has given us, moments to serve him. We can trust him knowing we're in tents, tents waiting for his building, we can patiently, expectantly wait. So like Abraham, by faith, we live in tents because we're looking forward to the city that is to come, and it will come. There is more. God hasn't left this world. In Christ, through his resurrection power, he will bring it about, and by faith, may we be people waiting, living lives for God's glory. Amen.